From WHQR Public Media, this is the Newsroom. I'm Ben Shockman. Thanks for joining us. Later on today's show, we'll hear excerpts from three of our Wilmington City Candidate interviews with incumbents Neil Anderson and challengers Marlo Foster and Celette Andrews. But first, we want to give you a behind-the-scenes look at our community agenda. That's a public engagement project to put the concerns of community members front and center in our campaign coverage and candidate interviews. In fact, it's how we generated most of the questions that we're going to put to the candidates this year. This is a new project for WHQR, one we hope will take root and help connect with similar projects all around the state. It's also a lot of work, but we think it's worth it. And I can't think of anyone better to help explain it than Kelly Kinoyer, who's really spearheaded this project. Kelly, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So you've been running our Community Agenda Project for, what, three months now? It's been my entire life for this summer, yes. And we got our goal of a thousand responses. That is impressive. And I, you should know that is our high-end goal for this. So how exactly did you do that? Well, we really wanted this survey to reflect the entire community and not just our listeners. So we couldn't just do our usual of asking our listeners by mail or email, although we did that as well. We went out and tabled at community events across the entire city to get responses from people. Shout out, by the way, to our incredible volunteers who supported this project, including the Community Advisory Board. I especially want to thank Wyatt Elder, Bill Milliholland, and Claire Appling, who were the MVPs in tabling for WHQR. And you're being modest here because you did quite a bit of this yourself. Absolutely. (laughs) I went to a homeless shelter, the Wilmington Business Journal's networking event, a few community dinners, the bus station, a festival or two, and every other community event that I went to for WHQR, I asked for these responses. And I went on WCT to ask their viewers to respond. And thank you to friend of the show, John Evans, for having you. So why did you go to so many places? We really wanted the survey to reflect the community as best as we could. Our results are pretty close to the community's demographics, but full transparency, we are a little under on the black community. Our survey is 13.5% black, while our city's population is more than 17% black. Still, we were close on almost every other racial category. Okay, what about other demographic data, like age? We skew a little older in our responses, which matches voter engagement to a degree. When I was tabling, I tried really hard to ask residents their opinion, even if they say they don't pay that much attention. After asking, what do you think the candidates should talk about as they compete for votes, I would sometimes follow it with, what do you think are some of the key issues in your community that you would want addressed? That kind of reframed the same idea a little bit. And addressing those issues, that's the job of public officials. So how many of the people who responded were actually voters in this upcoming city of Wilmington election? Well, we did allow people from outside the city limits to respond, as well as people who don't or can't vote in the election despite living within the city limits. The council's decisions impact everyone in the metro area, after all, so it seemed worthwhile. Some of the non-voters are under 18 or undocumented, and several people who said they didn't see the point in voting because it doesn't make a difference. But I will say, overall, nearly 600 of our responses were Wilmington City Council voters. Well, I have to say, I disagree with that last item about not voting because you don't think it counts, especially since voter turnout is so low in these municipal elections. Look back to the Wilmington mayoral races in 2019 and 2021. You had hotly contested races. I mean, people had serious feelings about these, but the turnout was still less than 15 percent. A lot of people don't bother voting for council. I get it. 
but that actually means your personal vote makes a big difference. Yeah, it's a shame too, because city council has a whole lot of control over the daily experience of those who live in the city. They control and fund the police department. They decide how things are zoned, which determines development. They invest in parks and in economic development. I mean, a city council decision made it so there's a major new concert venue next to my neighborhood, which has led to visitors parking in front of my driveway. And now they've bought a building and a lot of land near that venue so they can fix that parking problem. And you get to listen to free jam bands. And I get to listen to free jam bands. Okay, but the city is also the biggest local funder of public transportation, and they decide whether or not to put transportation bonds and housing bonds on the city ballot. They decide where your tax money goes. But okay, I guess that's enough glorifying local elections. Let's get back to our own survey. What were the biggest concerns that you heard from community members? Okay, so for the overall survey, development was the top issue. But when we separate out just the city council voters, the top concern was housing affordability by a long shot. Other than the order, the top five issues stay the same either way. Housing affordability, development, infrastructure, homelessness, and traffic. Interesting. And it's worth noting that when you dig in, these are all kind of interlocking pieces. And the city does have a good measure control over each one of these. So let's pull them out and discuss them each a little bit. Yeah, so let's start with development. Responses ranged from no more development to please develop in an intelligent way or more sustainably. We also heard please redevelop abandoned buildings or simply make the developers pay for the consequences of new buildings, like traffic. As one candidate put it in a forum I moderated recently, there are two things people hate when it comes to development, density and sprawl. The opinions are all over the place on this one, so it's a tough thing for a candidate to navigate. And it clearly ties in with the other issues, especially infrastructure and traffic. Right, and they often came together in these responses. Traffic issues can spawn from the new developments or from our growing metropolitan area, people driving in from out of the region, for example. People want more roads, but I also hear that they don't want them connected together. And there are concerns about traffic enforcement and safety, people speeding on certain roads or making unsafe turns. Those are traffic engineering issues, not just a problem of too many cars on the road. So we know council can tackle that in a few ways. One is that they can work with the Wilmington Metropolitan Planning Organization to prioritize certain projects. They can invest in public transportation to reduce the number of cars on the road or invest in high-density walkable neighborhoods where residents don't need to make as many trips by car. Some urban planners call them 15-minute neighborhoods because most of the things you need are within a 15-minute walk or bike ride. Yeah, that's kind of what the Land Use Development Code is aiming to do. But they didn't really force the walkability issue that much, so the nodes are still contributing somewhat to traffic. It can work, though. Portland is a great example of it. They have what are called historic main streets. They were the natural focal points of each neighborhood. So there are these small commercial districts that are super walkable and full of restaurants and amenities within a short distance of residential neighborhoods. That occurred naturally in Portland as it grew and developed over the course of a century, though. So developing it in the modern era takes some concerted effort. Interesting. So we'll have to see what the candidates say about that kind of development and where they would put density, how they would manage traffic, all those issues. Yeah, and the infrastructure. We got a good number of concerns about that, either stormwater or street maintenance or the replacement of the Cape Fear Bridge. People are worried about our hurricane resilience. Maybe not as much as they worry about traffic, but it comes up. Okay, so the city definitely has control over stormwater. They have a whole program for it. And they've been making some major investments, like a project designed to reduce flooding on New Center Drive, which is notoriously underwater whenever we have heavy rain. So, okay, what about the rest of the top five? 
Okay, so let's get into housing affordability. One in five respondents mentioned that issue. It was edged out by development among the overall population, but it was the very top concern for Wilmington City Council voters. I mean, that's honestly no surprise to me. Rent has risen more than 50% in just two years in Wilmington, according to the latest update on county data. And home prices have been high and are getting higher, too. That's right. City Council does have power to address this problem. They can provide gap financing for low-income housing tax credit projects like Starway. It also helps to have a revolving fund for this kind of thing, though, because it gives the developers a bit more security before they try to pull together a project. And they can provide density bonuses for developers who provide affordable housing. Right now, city code only requires 10% of the units to be affordable to get that bonus, which lets developers build more units than they would otherwise. Whereas 20% is common in a lot of other cities in our region. That's something we have heard from advocates that they want to see changed. We've also heard from developers that getting through the red tape in the city of Wilmington is a nightmare. That regulatory gridlock adds some significant cost. The city can also contribute to nonprofits that provide affordable housing or mandate affordability in a larger proportion of housing in their public-private partnerships. So a lack of affordable housing hurts everyone. We know that. But what about the most dire fallout from an expensive housing market? Homelessness. Yeah. That's also in the top five concerns for residents. Out of 1,000 responses, it came up on 131 of them. The homeless population has increased in the past two years, as housing prices have also increased. For that, the city can, again, provide gap financing for low-income housing tax credit projects. There are two types, one focused on affordable housing and another focused on permanent supportive housing. The former addresses the need for working-class residents to be housed, and the latter helps chronically homeless individuals with mental illness, disabilities, or substance abuse disorder. And those are usually smaller projects, right? Yeah, and they're not exclusively built with the federal program, although it makes things much more manageable for developers. Eden Village is a kind of supportive housing, although it has more regulations than the Housing First model you would see with those LIHTC projects I was talking about. That's an organization the city has put some money behind. They could do similarly for Good Shepherd Center's capital campaign, which is aimed at addressing a serious gap in shelter space and permanent housing solutions for our neediest neighbors. And to give you a sense of what kind of financial investment they need here, they're looking for $20 million to build 71 units of permanent supportive housing. Is that right? Yes, and I'm sure we'll hear people calling on the endowment for that. But local government could also put their money behind something like that, particularly since the city and county have decided they don't really have a direct role in housing the unhoused. Okay, so that covers the top five. What else came up in the community agenda? So number six was education. Some wanted to stop book banning, others wanted more funding for teachers, smaller class sizes, or wanted to kick queer people out of public schools. Wait, someone actually... Yes. Wow. Okay, that's scary. But I guess more to the point when we're talking about city council elections, we've done plenty of reporting on these issues, especially our colleague Rachel Keith, but the city doesn't really have a lot of control over those educational issues. That's really the school board and the county and state which provide funding. Other than that, most of these concerns can be addressed by council. The seventh most common concern was transportation, specifically public transportation. We also heard about the environment, walkability, growth, and green space. Some folks referenced climate change specifically, and cycling paths came up too. Well, the city did pass that transportation bond back in 2014, and they're still working on some of those projects. And the city says some were delayed by the pandemic. And Kelly, you've done a lot of reporting on the unsafe walking and cycling environment in our city. Yeah, I can't say I recommend walking or biking anywhere near Market Street, but if you don't have a car, you hardly have a choice in the matter, especially since Wave Transit is underfunded and facing a fiscal cliff. And there aren't a lot of crosswalks. 
we got a lot of requests for crosswalks. Okay, what about growth? What did you hear alongside that one? Well, it tied in with development, of course. Growth ties in with our demographic, economic, and population changes. At the Latino Festival, we heard from folks who wanted to see more investment in supporting that specific population. On the north side, we heard from folks concerned about gentrification. Oh, and we heard about food security. People want a grocery store on the north side. And I heard from some folks that they just can't get the food they need all the time. So maybe more food banks? Okay, so it sounds like there were a lot of social needs that needed to be addressed. Absolutely. But the good news is the city has the power to do it. We'll bring all of these concerns to our candidates at the forum later this month. That's right. It's Monday, October 23rd at CFCC's Union Station. Listeners, of course, are welcome to come in person and check it out. We'll also be live streaming it with our partners at WECT. And of course, we'll probably have a whole newsroom about it. Absolutely. And rest assured, your views will be represented thanks to the community agenda. Okay, Kelly, thank you for all of your hard work. Thanks, Ben. Okay, well, we need to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll hear from some of our candidates in this year's Wilmington City Council election. I'm Ben Schachman. You're listening to The Newsroom. Stay with us. Welcome back to the newsroom. I'm Ben Schockman. Thanks for staying with us. Up now, an excerpt from our interview with Neil Anderson, a three-term incumbent who has served on Wilmington City Council since 2011. He's self-employed, running a sales agency, and he was born and raised in High Point. Anderson has been married for 27 years and has three kids. You can find our full interview with Anderson online or as a podcast. But in this first excerpt, we asked him what he thought the key issues for the race were. All right, Neil Anderson, incumbent city councilman, thank you so much for being here. Happy to be here. Look forward to it. Okay, so before we get into the questions we have from our newsroom and the community, I just want to start with um, what's the biggest issue or issues you think are facing Wilmington, and uh, and how would you tackle them? Well, that's a uh, pretty open-ended question. I think the biggest challenges are, are pretty clear. We, we've experienced uh, you know, 20 years, more or less, at least, well, let's say 13 years, of just unprecedented continuous growth so how do you know trying to manage through that is a uh, that's our challenge and uh, you know I mean, this is a lot of people may have heard this before if they've been to some of the events we've had already with, surrounding the election but i'd much rather be managing through the uh, successes and our wealth of successes and all and the challenges that come with growth versus uh, you know I travel a lot for a living in you know, eastern half of the state into Virginia and there are a lot of cities and towns that are just in use with the decay I, I don't I'd much rather be doing what I'm doing here than managing that uh, I was in Rocky Mount last week uh, I think at one time we were about the same size not that long ago prior to a hurricane that really took them out and since then they've had tons of people leave and it's just a sad situation so those challenges obviously are infrastructure how do we grow with you know in terms of infill without it let you know trying to balance that with not letting harm and hurt our kind of the personality and the culture of our neighborhoods that are well established those things come top of mind but whether it's stormwater roads all that infrastructure so a lot of these questions are going to hew along those lines because mm-hmm. it's what we hear from the community. Sure. Mm-hmm. Number one, this is not going to surprise you, is affordable housing. 
Mm-hmm. So that runs the gamut from, you know, just above subsidized housing, just above public housing, all the way through people who are making 100, 120% of AMI, you know, nurses, uh, cops, firefighters, mm-hmm. teachers, reporters. Sure. <laughs> um, so, you know, rent has gone up around 50%, maybe a little more over the last two years. I just got to ask, you know, do you think the city is doing enough? Um, could it do anything different? Are you guys on the right track? How do you feel about this? I think we are on the right track. I think it's taken us a, a pretty good time, pretty good amount of time to get there. I think uh, also in the eyes of just the, the general public, you know, kind of I think our our country's kind of based on this, uh, you know, property rights, free enterprise, capitalistic system. So when you I think a lot of it's taken a long time for people to get over the idea of even suggesting to a developer that, hey, you do the, you know, you you should be doing this one. But two, okay yes, I should. But how do I do it? I don't do this for fun. You know, I want to have have some profit at the end of the day. So I think we're there. We're getting there now. We have a program in the code, you know, with you can get you know slightly more density if you do 10%, uh, 15 years, and that's at 80% MI, AMI, and that's average median income. So we, we and also terms, you, you use the word affordable, and it, it, the terms get thrown all over the place. We call that workforce, and that would be more like, you know, a teacher and a farm and living together or, you know, something along those lines. The, the next level down is the 60% AMI, and that's, I think, what you're describing is kind of above where you're getting federal government assistance in most cases. And in those, in those situations, we've got to have grants. We've got to have other things, uh, you know, available and actually win them or to, in order to uh, help a developer to the point to where they can actually make a profit. Now, the biggest one of those that's on the, you know, it's in the news still right now, is the Starway project. And it just, they're just, with the limited amount of land we have, uh, factoid for you, I mean, we're the second largest landmass county in the state. Anyway, so, and we have water on two sides of us and wetlands on another, and so we're really trapped in terms of land, and that land just keeps going up. We have unusual pressures on that cost of land with second homes, uh, retirees. We're not just like Greensboro or somewhere. That it's just a different dynamic. And that eats up a lot of the property, and it also drives property up. A lot of those folks I just mentioned have savings, and they've been in the you know earning for decades. And we're comparing it to a you know a 30, 30 year old person or something. So it's just different dynamics here. I think we're on the right track. I think one thing we did that was kind of low hanging fruit was uh, you know they have different names, garage apartments, for lack of a better term. You know anything in our resident. There were some. R15, uh, when I used to say residential uh, districts, you're going to R15, R10, R5. That's just, that's from larger lot size to smaller lot size. You're going to have, <clears throat> now you can put in a, a garage apartment, whereas before it was limited to certain, the, the size of the lot made a big different size of the house. It was a pretty complicated formula. But that was a way we saw to not, to spread that out too. So, you know, a lot of times we talk about, you know, having workforce or affordable housing and it's going to be lumped in one area. And by doing that, it spreads out, it spread out the traffic, spreads it all across the city. Um, you know, how bit, it'll probably take a while for that to, to really impact. But I do notice when people, uh, driving down streets, seeing people building them in their backyard. And that can also be great for kind of the aging in place model where you, you know, 
maybe it's a rental now, maybe it's for your mother, father later, uh, your son, daughter comes back for a year, what have you. There's, it's just, I think that's a, that's a positive. We're on the right track. I think it's, it's going to take, uh, we, we, we also looked into uh, trying to come up with a big a fund, if you will. So to your point, you know, we're down to, I don't know what it is now, two, three, four percent buildable land left in Wilmington. Right. Tons of pressures. We're up against, like you put it, a swamp and a river and the ocean. I think a lot of housing experts we've talked to say you need more units across the spectrum, everything from luxury apartments to, to affordable housing. But where? You know, you need, you, have, you need density, you need maybe even to go vertical, but where should that go? Well, I think a lot of things, a lot of times you, you're just seeing the market work a little bit. And, and, and that's not here is what's happening. Either, you know, they're going to Leland, they're going to Pender County. You know, uh, I think you're, you'll see a surge in the Burgall area over time. We're just getting to be a, a bigger city. And where we're used to, you know, do I want our teachers and our police and firemen to live here? And I use them just as examples because we know ballpark salary. But there's tons of people all in that, in that, um, in that, in that uh, income range. I want them to live here, obviously. But it's, you know, the, the economics of it make it difficult. I think the infill thing is it's, it's some people hate the word. Some people don't understand it. But I mean, I think the the big rubs we've had are when we, you know, you look at like Oleander on the on the east side of uh, you know going towards the beach past college, you know, you had a lot of little homes on there basically, just on the single family huge lots, and those that was before we, the city was that was part of the city, so I think any land planner is going to tell you that's that's a great place for some density. Trouble is. All those through there, they all back up to single family, whereas in a, in an ideal world, that would back up to you'd have like you know commercial, uh, multifamily. Then you'd have like condo, you know, town. You'd bleed down in terms of your how dense you are. But we don't have that luxury, and you you bump up, you know, somebody's got live music right behind somebody's house, and we it, it's going to be it's that makes it hard to manage. We get it, um, and we try to do things to. Uh, buffer it, navigate that, that set of problems. That's definitely something we, we've heard. We've heard from the city's former planner that that was kind of a missing piece of this is that we don't have trouble finding people who want to build large multifamily apartment complexes. We don't have trouble finding people who want to fill, build single-family homes. Is there a way the city can incentivize those, those kinds of development that act as that kind of gradient, whether it's quadruplexes or duplexes or townhomes or stuff like that? You're talking about Glenn Harbeck, I think, yeah. and Glenn, oh, yeah. Glenn was um, Glenn was a visionary. I mean, we sometimes I'm sure our developers thought he was a little ivory tower, but still, he you know I think that was a positive, and I think he's he was. We need more of that. Um, I think uh, our our new uh, planner planning director is is just about on her feet completely, but I think she came from a totally different market, totally different part of the country. So trying to figure out, and I think uh, Glenn had a great example, and I, I won't be able to call the street, but it was 5th, 6th, 7th up through there. There was kind of the brownstone, if you will. If you've ever been to Richmond or Baltimore, you know, any of those older East Coast cities, you see those. And I think that's what he's talking, the walk-up, you know, kind of that kind of, we, we don't have that. And I think um, the zoning is now set for to do that. It's just then you bump into even folks that's going to go typically say in a that same area, Fifth Sixth Street. You're going to tear down 
four houses to build eight. And, you know, the neighbors, they just aren't going to like that either. So it, it, it's tough. I mean, NIMBY's real, you know, and it, but it's not always necessarily, it, it, you know, I, I hate the density. It's just I, I don't like change. Yeah. You know, it's just this is the way it's been. I, it, this is the way it should stay. That was an excerpt from our candidate interview with incumbent city councilman Neil Anderson. You can find the full interview online at whqr.org or as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, we've got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll hear from two challengers, Marlo Foster and Celette Andrews. I'm Ben Shockman. You're listening to The Newsroom. Stay with us. Welcome back to the newsroom. I'm Ben Shockman. Thanks for staying with us. Up now, an excerpt from our interview with challenger Marlo Foster, candidate for Wilmington City Council. He is a former executive representing companies like BASF, Pfizer, and Lowe's. He moved into the nonprofit sector most recently as a senior VP for the Food Bank of Central and Eastern NC. Foster grew up in Farmville, Virginia, and moved to North Carolina after grad school. He more recently moved to the Wilmington area with his wife and two kids. You can find our full interview with Foster online or as a podcast. But in this first excerpt, we asked him what he thought the key issues for this race were. Marlo Foster, candidate for Wilmington City Council, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Ben. Looking forward to it. So we have a number of questions that we have uh, produced from our conversations with folks in the community. But before we get to that, I just want to ask you, you know, what do you think is the biggest issue or the biggest issues facing Wilmington and how do you plan to tackle them? So I have three issues I'm focused on in my campaign, two of which I think are, are of paramount importance. The first is housing affordability. You know, whether it's the chronically unhoused, whether it's the firefighter, teacher, or other first responder trying to buy their first home, the median home cost in Wilmington is $400,000. And how we address that is going to be a real challenge for the Wilmington City Council. The second is public safety. I am laser focused on juvenile crime, which has gone up post-pandemic, and I think there are a lot of reasons for that, and also also the opioid and fentanyl crisis in the city of Wilmington. And so uh, those are the two areas I'm laser focused on. The third area is job creation, critically important. Uh, you know, we're always are not going to have an Encino or a Live Oak Bank, and we need to make sure that we're incubating small and medium-sized businesses. You know, most people get their jobs from small and medium-sized businesses, and I want every Wilmingtonian to have the opportunity to have gainful employment, because really it goes back to the first two issues, right? If you're going to talk about housing affordability, you need to have a job that pays well. If you're going to talk about preventing juvenile crime, juveniles need to see a path to a job so that they can have gainful employment. And if you're going to talk about the opioid and fentanyl crisis, getting those individuals the treatment that they need and then making sure that they have job opportunities is a great way to to reduce the epidemic. Right on. Well, I think a lot of these questions are going to sit neatly with those concerns because it's what we've heard from the community. First, the top concern we hear when we see is affordable housing. So you are, you know, you are on the mark there. Rent has gone up. On average, 53% over the last two years, just staggering in some places. I mean, right to the point, what can the city 
do about it? That's actually within your jurisdiction. Yeah. So there are a couple of things. Uh, the first is that the city ha- provides gap financing, and this is more on the developer side. But what it does do is reduce the cost of land acquisition, which is a primary driver of the ultimate cost of developing a property, and in turn, a primary driver of what it costs to purchase that home. So the city provides gap financing to help developers reduce that cost, uh, and they in turn, the city has expectations that they will provide affordable housing. Now, it means different things to different people when we say affordable, but affordable housing. The second thing that the city does is has a homeowner's assistance program, first-time home buyers. And so what the city says is, look, if you are having a problem compressing the difference between what the down payment is and what you can afford, we will provide home buyers assistance to you to help you meet that down payment. Critically important, especially for first-time home buyers. The third thing that the city can do, and I was talking to the city manager about this, the city does have surplus property, uh, which has been bequeathed to them or that may be in repossession. Uh, And they have the opportunity to give that property away, give that property to a developer who's interested, from my perspective, in doing the right thing for the community. I've had discussions with developers, uh, and look, you know, I grew up in the private sector. I've worked in nonprofit, private, and public. Developers need to make their money. We need to be honest about that. But what the developer community says to me, or at least some developers, is that, look, we just need to make a little bit of money, and we need for those dollars that we make to be certain, just like anybody else wants in their job. But on the flip side, we also know that we have to come to the day table and be part of the solution in terms of addressing housing affordability. And here is where I think we have an opportunity between home builders, the developer community, the realtor community, and the city, and in turn city council, to say, look, we have these properties. Let's give them to developers to truly take a significant bite out of the housing affordability issue. Because what you typically see is if you have 100 units, 10 or 15 of them may be quote unquote affordable around a certain percentage of AMI. And, and that's great. That's 10 to 15 units we didn't have. But if we want to say 50 units or 100 units or 200 units, that's going to take some visionary thinking and that's going to take some partnership. One of the things we've heard from housing experts is that based on the way New Hanover County and more specifically Wilmington is set up, we've got water, we've got wetlands, we're down to a couple percent of buildable land. The future of, of building in Wilmington is going to be redevelopment. And to meet just the staggering number of units that we need, not even just for workforce and affordable housing, but just units total, it looks like we're going to have to build denser and in some cases build vertical. And that's where you run into people who are in neighboring areas and don't really like it. So the question that has been coming up in all of our conversations about housing is where will this denser and possibly vertical development go? Well, if I knew the answer to that, Ben, I would bottle it and I'd sell it and I wouldn't be running for Wilmington City Council. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, you're dead on. Um, what we what The challenge is, you're correct, we can no longer go horizontal. We must go vertical. We must go mixed use and we must have uh, denser development. And we must protect our tree canopy in the process. All of those things go together. And I think it's incumbent upon members of Wilmington City Council uh, to have the intestinal fortitude to say, look, 
a lot of people will say, we want housing affordability and density, but not next to my neighborhood, because that may impact uh, the value of my home. And I've heard that sitting in on many a city council meeting when developments have been proposed that have an affordability mix. But I think as city council people, it's incumbent upon us to, to have the guts to say, look, we need to address this problem. We're serious about addressing this problem. And we need to make sure that that what we vote on, the solutions that we bring, work for all Wilmingtonians. And some people will be unhappy. And we just have to recognize that, uh, respect that, allow them to, to air their concerns. But at the end of the day, if we are going to be serious about this problem, we have to be serious about the votes that we take and we have to be serious about addressing it. Tree cover is definitely one of the issues we hear um, from folks, although the, to be fair, that is more in the county where there are trees left to cut down, <laughs> just to be candid. Right. Uh, but the other issue we hear when developments come in, you know, obviously people want it to be aesthetically pleasing, but the infrastructure impact, namely right. traffic. Right. So the city has some control over this. Some of it is out of the city's control. But what are your thoughts on dealing with the traffic impact of going denser? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, as, as someone goes through um, the planning commission and, and thinking about the traffic impact and they provide the planning studies, um, you know, I trust the experts to provide expert opinions to Wilmington City Council. I'm not a traffic impact expert. What I often say to people when, when I'm door knocking or when I'm talking to, to constituents, they say we have a traffic problem in Wilmington. I say no. We don't have a traffic problem. We have a choke point problem. So if you think about the loops, if you think about Masonburg, if you think about Oleander and college, we have a choke point problem. And what happens is the traffic that comes out of the choke points, when people are not moving, they are extremely frustrated. But if you want to see a traffic problem, go to Capitol Boulevard in Raleigh, North Carolina, US-1. That is real traffic. So. We've got to be smarter about the way we manage uh, our traffic flow. When we have developments, we need to rely on the experts in terms of the traffic study and the impact. Um, and to some extent, I feel like we, we've, got to take, we've got to take some emotion out of it. We have to recognize that we have these choke points. We need to be strategic about addressing those choke points. Uh, we need to move forward in a cooperative way. Now, I will say this. you know, I, I don't know how many of the citizens of Wilmington are well aware that a large portion of our roads are state roads. And so the Wilmington City Council has very little to do with some of the traffic challenges that we have. What we can do, and what I have said to, to individuals as I've talked to them, is that the fact that we are not higher up on the list of the state DOT, to me, is an influence issue. What are we doing as Wilmington City Council members to reach out to DOT, to reach out to our state elected leaders, uh, to reach out to, to other regulatory bodies, to reach out to our congressional delegation and say, you know what, we need help here. We need for you to exert influence from your office, appropriately so, because we shouldn't have these challenges we're having with traffic. We shouldn't have to be dealing with the Cape for Memorial Bridge and, and the pain of that because we're low down on the DOT list. That's an excerpt from our candidate interview with challenger Marlo Foster, who's running for Wilmington City Council. You can find the full interview online at whqr.org or as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Up now, our interview with challenger Celette Andrews. She served in the U.S. Air Force and worked as a technical writer, and she sat on a town council in Arizona before she moved to Wilmington, 
She currently runs an estate jewelry business and is an active volunteer. She's married to Pender County Manager David Andrews. They have three children and three grandchildren. As with the other Wilmington City Council candidates, you can find our full interview with Andrews online or as a podcast. But here in this first excerpt, we asked her what she thought the key issues for this race were. Salette Andrews, candidate for Wilmington City Council, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so before we get into questions from our community agenda, that's questions we've heard from Wilmington residents and voters, I want to just ask you, what do you think are the biggest challenges and issues facing Wilmington, and how would you tackle those? Okay. Well, we know from the citizen survey that's conducted every two years, uh, the, the latest one was in 2021, we know that the biggest issue that people have is our issues around transportation, uh, infrastructure, traffic, flooding, <laughs> all of those issues, we know are number one on people's list. Um, the thing that I hear the most when I go around asking people what's the most important issue to them, a lot of them say affordability, especially in housing. We do have, um, we do have a rapidly increasing uh, housing affordability issue here in, in Wilmington. So that's, you know, that's number two. And the other thing that people talk a lot about is the water and <clears throat> other environmental issues as well, including tree canopy and green space. Um, and sometimes a lot of those three issues don't get along with each other very well. So um, it's really a challenge of balance, uh, balancing all those issues. Absolutely. Um and that's, that's right where we're going with our first set of questions. So let's, let's get into it. Affordable housing is the number one thing we hear about. Mm-hmm. Uh, rent has increased around 53% over the last two years, uh, which has been really quite staggering in some places. From your point of view, obviously you're, you're a candidate, so you, you're not on council right now, but do you think council has been doing enough? And if not, what else do you think the city could do to address this crisis? Yeah. Um, I think that the council has been doing a lot as far as um, putting it forward and really uh, trying to negotiate with developers for more affordable units. It's the execution of that that's really difficult. Um, What else can be done? I think um, we need to really support our nonprofit partners, first of all, to help the people at the very lowest end, that uh, 30% AMI and below, uh, get our unhoused population off the street. Um, I definitely believe in a housing first agenda. Um, getting people into housing really saves the taxpayers a lot of money in a lot of ways, including fewer hospitalizations, fewer emergency room visits. Um, so there's there's a lot of great things about getting the unsheltered into, into shelters. Then we have the, the, the median range affordable housing, um, which is the people that are 30 to 60% AMI. We've got a great project going forward now, the Starway Village, which I think is fantastic. They've pieced together a lot of different um, funding sources for that. Right now, they're, they're facing issues because of the increase in um, interest rates. They've been going up, and so they're facing issues with getting that project completely funded at this point. Uh, so I think the city and the county can definitely step forward and help with that. Um, and then, then we have workforce housing, which is 
80 to sometimes 120% AMI. Um, and that should be more straightforward, but in a way it's really tricky because um, it's, it, it, it takes a lot of oversight to make sure that those units are staying affordable for 20 years into the future. And especially if we don't have oversight from funding sources like HUD, um, it, it's really it's really a lot of effort to make sure that those units stay affordable into the future and don't slip into market rate apartments. So, um, yeah, I think that I think the city's doing a lot, but um, as you said, we've faced an unprecedented increase in housing costs in the past few years. So, there's always more to be done. One of the things we hear from housing experts is that you can build your way out of this crisis. Or at least that's part of the solution. Is is more units overall release releases the pressure on the on the housing market in general. But you got to put those units somewhere. Mm-hmm. A lot of the experts suggest you know denser multifamily and building vertical. But the question that we hear from a lot of people, and the concern we hear from a lot of people, is where do you put that? I think everyone agrees they would like more housing, but not everyone would like you know a multifamily you know, apartment complex in their suburban neighborhood or a 12-story building maybe next to their three-story building downtown. So from your point of view, do you think there are places in Wilmington where denser and even taller development could go? Yeah, I, I always like to say that two things people love to hate, one is density and the other is sprawl. Um, <laughs> so that's that's the question. Supply is definitely part of the equation. We definitely need to increase the supply. Uh, I think that building up is going to be the way to go, especially in already dense areas. Um, we're going to need to go up. There's also another concept that they use in, um, in parts of the triangle called transit-oriented development. And so we need to build up in areas where we already have transit, and uh, we need to extend transit to newer areas where we're going to have increased density. And that's going to help both the affordability aspect because parking is one of the most expensive things to build and takes up a lot of land. Um, so if we can decouple parking requirements uh, in certain areas and make it more uh, of a transit-friendly area, um, that can certainly increase affordability uh, and decrease the amount of traffic on the roads at the same time. The last part of this housing puzzle is there there are places that I think people have identified where you could build denser, but there's also a need for the missing middle housing. So duplexes, quadplexes in between that suburban sprawl and like denser urban cores. Do you have thoughts on how the city could help more of that type of housing come onto the market? That's really what I'm seeing a lot of coming before council right now is there is a lot of um, the townhomes and small apartment complexes that are basically infill developments. Um, one of the things that they can do is uh, decouple the parking in some situations. Uh, it's not going to work in all situations, but you know you don't necessarily always need, especially if it is on a transit route, you don't always need to have two parking spaces for every bedroom or even one for every bedroom. You know, it just, it depends on the situation and how available transit is and how successful we as government leaders could be in uh, encouraging people to use transit more. So the last, this is the last set of concerns we hear around building new spaces usually involve 
you know, traffic, tree cover, or, you know, gentrification, like changing the neighborhoods. And I think those are, you know, all sort of different ideas, but they're all people who are concerned about what a new development will do. Um, traffic, I think we've talked about a little bit, and we can talk about WAVE later, but with when it comes to tree cover, we hear all the time that people are concerned that people will clear cut, you know, all the trees on our property. Do you think the city's doing a good enough job of making sure that's handled either by sparing the trees or replanting new trees, or could they be doing more? Yes, yeah, so I know that our new tree ordinance is is working toward that goal, you know, to increase tree coverage um, and, and decrease um, the amount of clear cutting that, that's done. In, they're increasing shade requirements for parking areas, which is really important to prevent the whole heat island effect. Um, the other thing, we, we're having to deal with the after effects of 80 years ago planting certain species of trees that ended up growing very quickly and providing us with a lovely canopy, but but not being healthy enough to sustain um, very long. And we're having to um, cut down some trees, especially along Market Street, that's very alarming to people because, you know, that that's a corridor where we always had these beautiful trees. So I think just, um, you know, keeping up with the science, making sure that we're planting trees um, that are uh, sustainable in the long run, that are healthy in the long run, that we don't have to replace as often, uh, and that don't blow over in storms is another issue that we need to worry about. Um, but yeah, trees are really important. Um, trees not only provide oxygen, they, they uh, prevent the whole heat island effect from too much concrete. Um, they also drink up a lot of water um, and very important to control flooding, um, especially as we try to move forward and be resilient with climate change. So the, the other concern we hear about, a lot of this comes from developments that are happening right now on Castle Street in what's getting called the Soda Pop District and on the north side. Residents are basically concerned either that the culture of their neighborhood will be irrevocably changed or more from a financial point of view that they will be burdened with increased property taxes or basically priced out of their neighborhood. Now, not all of this is on the city, I'll be clear about that, but the city can certainly play a role. What do you think that role should be? Yeah, that's really hard because um, in North Carolina, municipalities can only do what the state government allows us to do. And in some cases, that's not a whole lot when it comes to um, issues that involve economics and gentrification. Um, oh, remember when I said that um, two things people hate are density and sprawl? The other two things people hate is gentrification and blight. So, you know, one person's gentrification uh, is is the answer to another person's blight. So, um it's, it's that's a really really tough issue. One of the things I know that this um, local leaders can do and are starting to do is really work on the issue of having people understand their property rights and having people understand the whole issue around heirs' property. Having people uh, they're doing will workshops now um, so that people can decide what's going to happen to their property uh, when when they pass because. Right now, we have a lot of properties in town that um, are being taken out from under families because 
there was no will. There was just an agreement among the kids, or they thought they had an agreement. And then one set of heirs sells out, and the property ends up getting um, developed by somebody who's who's not in the family because the people in the family who wanted to hold on to it can't hold on to it. So I think there's. Um, you know, there there is there is a measure of education and legal aid that we can offer people to help them to be able to stay in their homes. One of the things that we can do um, is develop a funding mechanism for low interest or no interest loans, so that people can fix their property, keep it up to code at least, um, and and keep it livable for themselves, and so that they can age in place. That's an important part of affordable housing that I think that the city can find a way to do. That was an excerpt from our candidate interview with Challenger Salette Andrews. She's running for Wilmington City Council. You can find the full interview online at whqr.org or as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And that's all the time we have for this edition of the Newsroom. Thanks to my colleague Kelly Knoyer and all of our CAB members and volunteers who helped with the community agenda. Thanks also to candidates Neil Anderson, Marlo Foster, and Salette Andrews for their time. Again, you can find all of our city council interviews at whqr.org or as podcast episodes of the newsroom. We'll have our other four candidates, Kevin Spears, John Lennon, Catherine Bruner, and David Joyner on next week's edition of the newsroom. And just a note, our forum for Wilmington City Council candidates is the evening of Monday, October 23rd at Cape Fear Community College's Union Station. And so if you have questions you'd like to hear those candidates answer, send them to staffnews at whqr.org or newsroom at whqr.org. Or you can show up in person and see them answer questions live. Voter registration is open Friday, October 13th. Early voting starts October 19th. And Election Day is Tuesday, November 7th. I'm Ben Schockman. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us on the next edition of The Newsroom. <laughs>